0: Uh, Thank you for joining our Rural Communities by the Numbers webinar. We're excited to have you here on this beautiful morning. My name is Emily Kelly, and I am a Partnership Specialist with the U.S. Census Bureau's Denver-Dallas region, and I am your host for today's training. My colleague Paulina Lopez is running the technology for today's event. Thank you so much, Paulina. Before I get into the agenda, I'd like to cover some basic information and house rules for today's event. Because of the number of participants on this webinar, everyone has been muted. We encourage everyone to use the chat box at the bottom right of your screen to ask questions, which I will then read for our presenter to answer at the end of the webinar. If we're unable to get to your question, my email address will be in the chat box, and I would encourage you to send me an email, and we will follow up and get an answer to you as quickly as we possibly can. For your convenience and for future reference, please expect a PDF of today's presentation and a resource sheet to be emailed to you shortly. This webinar is being recorded and will be sent to attendees at a later date. For those who do not wish to be recorded, please take the time now to opt out and drop from this session. Paulina, please begin recording. Today's session will provide an overview of the latest census data tools and data.census.gov, a new platform to access data and digital content from the U.S. Census Bureau. You will also learn how to access quick facts, American Community Survey Narrative Profiles, and Social and Economic Data Profiles for Rural Communities and Populations. Our agenda includes opening remarks from Ms. Kathy Lacey, the Regional Director for the U.S. Census Bureau's Denver region, followed by our Census Partner, Eric Fahil, Acting State Director for USDA Rural Development in New Mexico, and Census Partner Rich Feltz, President of Kansas Farm Bureau. Following opening remarks, U.S. Census Bureau Partnership Coordinator Pauline Nunez will get to what you've all been waiting for, a look at census data specifically focused on our rural communities. All presenter bios will be found in the slides and will be included in the PDF we'll send you following this presentation. And now I'm honored to introduce you to Ms. Kathy Lacey, our U.S. Census Bureau Regional Director.
1: Kathy, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. I sure do appreciate it, Emily. And I want to thank all of our attendees today. We really appreciate you joining us and, of course, our speakers. Uh, Thank you for being with us. A special thanks goes out to uh, the Kansas Farm Bureau and USDA Rural Development State Offices from 11 of our 12 states, being Texas, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Arizona, Utah, Nebraska, new mexico and colorado we see these events these webinars as our opportunity to give back as we conduct every census the information that we collect becomes more and more important and we like to provide as much support as we can in how to use the data and what is available the rural communities throughout our 12 state region are incredibly important to us especially because most of our area is rural so i thank you so much and i return it over to emily and i hope that you will find this webinar to be extremely helpful so thank you so much thank you for that introduction kathy Uh, and now eric would you like to say a few
0: words
2: i will thank you i appreciate that and 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 thank you to u.s census bureau and 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 pauline thank you for reaching out to to us State Rural development and and wanting to participate in this and expressing our, our, our interest. Uh, I personally took this training a few years ago that Pauline put on and uh, had I had this knowledge when I was a loan specialist, it would have been a, a easier world for me. Uh, we do in rural development depend a lot on uh, census facts, census data for scoring some of our applications. So I thank you. And those of you, if you the, that are attending it for the first time, I think you'll find it very beneficial. Uh, with that, uh, thank you. And, and we look forward to to the continued relationship. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Eric. We truly appreciate your partnership. Uh, Rich, the floor is yours for a few remarks.
2: Yes, thank you very much, and appreciate the opportunity to co- contribute to this discussion. And I think my first comment is numbers count. And as we look around, the demographics that we have across uh, the real parts of the U.S. and and the importance it is to to know and to see what these changes are, we we know it's invaluable that we have these numbers that. As we try to work with planning for infrastructure and nutritional programs, housing, rural health care, and especially economic development. Also, we can't underestimate the value that has as we determine these numbers for representation at the state and federal level. But I think one thing that is easy to see as a value as we look at trends over the past period of times as to how we've had changes in population and demographics in our region and in our rural communities. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you so much, Rich. And on behalf of our entire Denver-Dallas U.S. Census Bureau team, thank you to Rich and Eric for your partnership along with all of the USDA Rural Development Offices that uh, have helped us promote this event. Uh, And again, I'll read those offices, the state offices in Arizona, Colorado, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. We truly appreciate your promotion of this event and encouraging your members, customers, and followers to respond to census surveys when received. Uh, It's very important, as you know. Uh, We value our partnerships with you and really do look forward to continuing uh, our relationships in the future. Now, it is my great pleasure to introduce my colleague and friend, U.S. Census Bureau Partnership Coordinator, Pauline Nunez, who will present Rural Communities by the Numbers. Pauline, the floor is yours.
3: Thank you, Emily, and thank you for such a great introduction with all of our partners. So, my name is Pauline Nunez, and welcome all. And so, we will be taking questions. Emily is looking at the chat, as well as Paulina and we will be answering questions uh, at the end of my presentation. So, what is rule? According to the Census Bureau, rule is defined after each decennial census using specific criteria related to population thresholds, density, distance, and land use, and we're in that transition time right now, especially looking at the size of metropolitan areas. But in general, rural areas are sparsely populated, have low housing density, and are far from urban centers. Urban areas make up only 3% of the entire land area of the country, but are home to more than 80% of the population. Conversely, 97% of the country's land mass is rural, but only 19.3% of the population lives there. I also wanted to direct your attention that I do have certain reference links, like what my numbers are based on, on this slide. So, I try to really pack my PowerPoint with a lot of references because you will be getting a copy of this. I also wanted to talk about what is rule according to federal agencies like the USDA Rural Development. And I actually did have conversations with Uh, some of the program managers of these particular programs. So it's important because, you know, we always say something about data, data equals dollars. And so rural eligibility depends on population thresholds and the programs. So, for example, in USDA, if you have, I'm using these as examples, Community Facilities Direct Loan and Grant Program, which they offer direct loans, loan guarantees, and grants, to develop or improve services like a park in a rural area. So what is the eligible uh, eligible area? It is villages, cities, townships, and towns, and including federally recognized tribal lands with no more than 20,000 residents. Okay, so that's one threshold. But if I'm applying for water and environmental programs, it is 10,000 or less. If I'm looking at business and industry loan guarantees with the 1RD Guarantee Loan Initiative, then what is considered eligible there is areas not in a city or town with a population of more than 50,000 inhabitants. So I've always said to people who are writing grants or business plans or whatever, pay attention to what is that eligibility and what are people describing as rural, or even in some other cases I've also worked on the border for what do people say the border is, and it depends on the agency you're working with. Now why census data to describe rural communities? So local communities depend on information from the ACS, as well as the 2020 census, to decide where schools, highway hospitals, and other important services are needed. So I am going to sneak in, I want to say a disclaimer already, that because I also talk to business programs, I, I'm mostly going to focus on the American Community Survey. But if there's time, which I hope there is, I am going to talk a little bit about the community, the county business patterns to look at industry within an area. But the main thing is that the data we collect is through the ACS and census help determine how to distribute more than 675 billion of federal funding each year and data equals dollars. So, no matter what data search you do, you must link it to a geography. And so, geography in rural areas are different in the sense that you can, if you wanted to say, for example, if you were writing a grant and helping a school district, you can get data by school district. In today's presentation, I'm gonna concentrate on counties, and census tracts, which are census tracts, are part of counties. In a rural area, in a metropolitan area, you will have a census tract that is like a city block, and it's between it can be between 2,000 and up to 8,000. I've seen some census tracts in an area. However, as you get into a rural area, your census tract's landmass becomes bigger, but your population may be less. And you'll see that because I will be using a census track in a rural county later on in data.census.gov. The other thing, too, and I think uh, Rich mentioned this earlier, about advocacy. So you can get data from state legislative districts from both Senate and House. And I wanted to mention zip code tabulation areas because you can get county business patterns on zip code. So it is the most frequently use zip codes that you can get data from. But the last thing I wanted to mention is we have, you see this link from places to state. So, and I have another link that says cities and CDPs. So instead of saying cities and villages or towns, we call cities and towns incorporated places. Those that aren't incorporated, but it's clusters of populations that people know exist. And all throughout our 12-state region, we have different census-designated places. It can be Acoma Pueblo in New Mexico. It can be Fort Bliss in El Paso, which is a military installation. But it can also be a colonia in Rio Grande Valley, or it can be a senior uh, housing area like Green Valley outside of Tucson. So it is a cluster population that recognizes by all people and the planners have designated, and this designation happens every 10 years. And it's so critical for rural communities to have CDPs because they can get data for that. And we will look at a CDP later on in the presentation with narrative profile. So again, I just wanted to mention, I will focus on the ACS, which is the nation's most current, reliable, and accessible data source. But keep in mind, federal programs like USDA Rural Development use it, and I think Eric said earlier that they use it to score the application, so I, as an applicant, should know how to work with ACS data in order to have a successful application for my community. So, we just did the census, and I hope all of you uh, participated in the 2020 census, but I wanted to step back and look at the differences between these two data sets. So. A little history, American Community Survey began in 2005. Before that, in 2000, we had the long form and the short form as part of our census. So because states clamored for more current data on an annual basis, Congress funded the Census Bureau to do the American Community Survey every year. So that's why you see here, conducted every month and year which we do, and then the decennial 2020 census, as you saw, we had one last year, so it's conducted every 10 years. What's very important about the difference here is that it is sent to a sample of addresses about 3.5 million per year in the U.S., D.C., and Puerto Rico. In the case of the decennial, we try to count every person living in the U.S., District of Columbia, and five U.S. territories. We ask questions about topics not on the 2020 census, and many times people don't understand that. So the socioeconomic data where we're describing the population is the ACS. The shorter list of questions such as age, sex, race, and owner, rancher status is that of the census. So the census is a count, and the community survey described who we are as a nation. We provide current information about communities every year. We will update the one-year estimates in September and the five-year estimates in December. And so again, the census provides an official count of the nation's population. I just wanted to go over quickly some of the features of ACS because in order to understand this data set, there are some nuances that I wanted to cover to make sure you understand it so you can use it successfully. We do cover over 40 topics, and it supports over 300 evidence-based federal government uses, and produces 11 billion estimates e- each year. I said something about the one-year estimate, so we do publish a one-year estimate, but it's important that it, this is for populations of 65,000 and above. So. Some counties will have that population, so you can get a one-year estimate. However, today's focus will be on the five-year estimates because it is ideal for analyzing small population groups, which of course we find in our rural areas. What is the content of ACS? We also, besides showing you this content, it is also how the data profiles are organized that you will see later. You will see also that we collect information on housing, which people don't realize. But under housing, we will look, you look at computer and internet use. What are the costs? What's the home value? And are people owning or renting? And what kind of heating fuel is there? Very important, you're built. Sometimes this, uh, especially in rural communities, if there's whole old housing stock, that is, uh, that needs to be replaced. Perhaps resources need to be placed there. We also have, and I'll focus a lot on economic because those were a lot of other questions that came to me. You will look at industry, you industry and occupation, medium income as well as household income, and then the social looks at things like school enrollment and educational entertainment besides language other than English spoken at home. So what are five-year estimates? that can take a while to wrap your brain around because it's not a natural thing that we think about. But a little history about that as well is that in 2005, when we're developing this five-year estimate, our researchers wanted to make sure we had as reliable a data set as possible. So in order to do that, they pooled together and came up with a five-year estimate. So when you look at five-year estimates, you always have to slide, like 2015 to 2019, when you're citing this ACS data, and think about this as characteristics over a specific time. So, in other words, it's a video of your community, not a single point in time like the census. So, it is an aggregate of, so you have all these statistics undergirding your estimates. It's weighted to produce estimates and control for age, sex, race, and Hispanic origin. They are not an average of one-year estimates, so it's important to note that. Also, the next two bullet points. So geographic boundaries are important. So if I annex as a county, say I'm in Dona Ana County in New Mexico, and the county annexed something in 2020, it's not going to show up in the most current 2015 to 2019 estimates. When we update that estimate to include 2020, it would include that boundary. So that's what that means. Also, some of you asked about medium household income and what have you. So dollar value estimates are inflation-adjusted to the most recent year. So if I'm looking at medium household income, that means there'll be inflation-adjusted to the 2019, to the most recent year for the period. So how do I compare those? You'll see right now, when we go live, that you can compare geographies across the board on QuickFacts, for example. But it's important to understand, because I know vintage was important, that you can only compare non-overlapping time periods. So then 2015 to 2019 can be compared with 2010 to 2014. For the first time, we can compare a five-year estimate. And you'll see in Facts we are comparing across uh, geographies and subpopulations like cities, counties. And you can compare percentages, means, and mediums and rates, which we'll do later in data.census.gov. And I just wanted to mention that whenever you're using uh, five-year estimates, try if you can use the percentage that always increases your reliability. Which, speaking about reliability, I just wanted to summarize this slide, and of course you can read about it more, but keep in mind margin of error because we will be looking at smaller areas, a census tract, a CDP, or a small rural area that has maybe 2,000 in population. So with that, you wanna make sure that like, say for example, if I have 100 as my estimate, so the MOE, margin of error, is not a static number. It is a range. And what I'm looking at is, is my number, is my estimate going to reflect what's happening to my community? So if I have an estimate that's 100 and it's 10 is my MOE, plus or minus, then my range is very small. It's 90 to 110. So my number is probably going to be in that range. However, if it's 60, is my margin error, my range has really widened. So, I'll be less confident about the reliability of that estimate. But we always give the data user the judgment call to say, I will use this to reflect what's happening in my community or not. So, I'm going to go live and share my screen. So, Paulina, if you'll tell me if you can see my census.gov sometimes it's a little stubborn we're still on the power calling yeah i see there we go can you see my screen we can see it thank you Mm -hmm. okay so this is our landing page and what i'd like about our landing page is we are really trying to get more visual and Look at, um, like right now, a big topic is uh, apportionment, and you see the data map. And then we go on to look at key parameters and also look at studies and what have you. And I want to say to you all who do applications, we are looking at a period where data is becoming more visual. So I will emphasize the graphics and whatever else that we have loaded our tools with, which is great. The first one I wanted to mention, maybe most of you have worked with QuickFacts, but I find that even if you're going to be looking at a community that you're not familiar with, it's such a great tool. So how do you get there is before you see access local data, you just click on that, and it will take you to QuickFacts. In this case, I already built up my table. And one thing that always will be the same, no matter how sophisticated we get, Census Bureau will always have tables. We love tables. So what I did is I built a table with six geographies, which that's the limit. The other limitation of QuickFacts is that for your cities and towns that have less than 5,000, I cannot get that on QuickFacts. And remember, it is a mashup of different data sets. I have on here not only population estimates, but I also have ACS, which you can tell once you start looking at that 2015 to 2019. But for those of you who do business programs or economic development, I also have economic information as, as well. So one of the things that's really wonderful and one of what I call the superpowers of QuickTAC is that you can compare what's happening for the community And as all of us know, there's a lot of change happening in rural communities. Some are losing a lot of population to metro areas, and some aren't. Some are growing, and this reflects that. I went back to my stomping ground because I'm a Texan by birth and uh, also from West Texas. And I use Texas, state of Texas, Reeves County, Pecos City, Rooster Alpine, and Pecos is in Reeves. Alpine is in Brewster, and then I just used Presidio County as an, just an example, another example of uh, West Texas County. So one thing that you can use quick facts for is looking at population change, and look at that, whereas in one side of West Texas, they're losing population, in Brewster County, in Reeves County, they're gaining. And you all who live in West Texas will have the answers to why that's happening. My speculation on one hand is oil and gas. But uh, again, I leave that to those who have the local knowledge. How do we get that population changed? So you can look at population estimates, which is a program we have a separate data set that every year we update. In fact, we're in the process of updating them now. It's for state, county, and city. And we look at administrative records because we couldn't do a census every year. And the baseline is the census. And every year we update based on administration records, so that you can look at what's happening as far as the change in the population. Very useful, because again, as you're on the side of a federal agency and looking at what's happening in the community, this can give you a quick look. Also, one of the things that a lot of uh, federal agencies ask for is race and Hispanic origin. So, it's very important to understand those definitions. And again, what I like about QuickBacks is if I click on that little icon that says I, it will give me a definition of what Office of Management and Budget and all federal agencies are guided by this definition. So, you'll be able to understand how we look at that and how you should answer that application question. So, for example, here for Hispanic or Latino, That is the ethnicity. There's only two ethnicities, and I always apologize to anthropologists. It is the way OMB gives us the guidance, Hispanic or Latino or not Hispanic or Latino. So if I check on Hispanic and I live in one of these counties and I say yes, then I can go to the race category and pick a race. Most Hispanic or Latino communities in the United States pick white as a race, and then the second uh, most common is some other race. In this case, uh, if I pick no Hispanic and I said uh, yes to or no Hispanic, but then I went down to the race and picked white, then it would be white alone, not Hispanic. So that's really important to understand as you, again, describe your community in a correct way. So real good way to look at population change, look at race and Hispanic origin within a community. But another one of the superpowers that I really like is in the, I'm going to say the old days, like maybe the last eight years or so, quick facts is updated to be a lot more visual and that you don't have to scroll through the whole fact sheet to be able to look at a fact. So if I go to the chart and say I want to look at, I know uh, my friends in community programs are very interested in income and poverty. So if I wanted to look at medium household income, I can just click on that. And then it will, you can notice how it highlighted it right away. So that's good. But what's even better, I'm a visual learner, which most people are, is right away it gives me a chart. So don't forget about the superpower because it's a really nice way. To look at and if you click on, for example, Presidio County, it will give me the difference. Plus I'm seeing as my baseline the state of Texas. So how does Reeves County compare to Texas? How does Presidio County compare to Texas? Right there. It looks like you spent hours, but you didn't. You were just smart and knew how to use the superpowers of QuickFax. And so if I'm wanting to look at all the counties, say that I work, um, for the state of Texas, rural development, and I want to see how things compare, I can just uncheck the show selected locations and look at all the counties, 254 counties of the state of Texas. So it's a really good way, and you can do this with any of the facts and in quick facts to have a chart. So that's a wonderful superpower, great way to present data. Finally, I just wanted to talk about the download function in that you can embed if you wanted to embed some sort of uh, fact. If you I know that uh, many of you use Twitter. You use Twitter to promote this webinar today. You can also tweet out a fact from Quick Facts, put it on your Facebook, and then also download in an Excel spreadsheet. So that is Quick Facts. So now we're going to go over back to census.gov because we're going to start going into American Community Survey. So one thing also that's important in uh, using our landing pages, you can go to the surveys. And the next tool that we're going to talk about is the narrative profile. The main thing to learn about the narrative profile is how to find it because it is not on our data pro- uh, platform. So, Quick Facts and the narrative profile can be find, found on census.gov in our landing page. And in this case, you can find the narrative profile by American Community Survey. So, we click on that and we go to the landing page of ACS, which again, as we understand more about the ACS, this is a great landing page because it also gives you guidance for data users. It gives you technical documentation. It also t- teaches you about the tables that are used for ACS. In this case, you would click on data, because don't... So once you click on data to find the narrative profile, and those of you who are writing loans and uh, grants or what have you, this is a great tool, because it is our only data tool that uses text, and it also uses uh, charts to make uh, the story of a particular geography. In this case, I'm going over to Aho, Arizona, so I'm going to click on Narrative profiles. So, as you can see, it is a short, analytic report derived from five-year estimates, and it covers 15 different topic areas, and it provides text and bar charts to display highlights of selected socioeconomic, housing, and demographic estimates. So you can go to the state, county, a place. You can also do a CDP, by the way, under place, and a census tract, plus a zip code tabulation area. In this case, okay, my bar still keeps going down. Sorry about that. I'm trying to reach – hold up here. So what's fun about going live is that then your little bar comes down. There we go. And so I'm trying – it's telling me I'm sharing two applications, so I'm trying to get to it. So I'll do it this way. So I'm picking out a place. I think I can do it. And so I picked out a place. It asked me for what state, which is Arizona, and I found Arizona CDP, which is the closest community to the Organ Pipe Cactus National Monument. So just background information. So I first I'm gonna close all my information to show you all the 15 different areas. So you can get housing, Occupied housing, financial characteristics, you can get income, as well as occupation and industry. I'm first going to go to population so that I can see. First of all, I always recommend whenever you're looking at percentages of a particular geography, you want to know what is the number of people that we're looking at here in Ajo. So it has a total population of 2,841. So it didn't show up in quick facts because it wasn't eligible i had to have 5,000, but it did show up in narrative Profile. so keep in mind for your smaller communities you can get a narrative profile for that it also gives me a, a sense of who lives there as far as age which always has ramifications for policy and services right so on here it gave me the medium age at 50.5 so that tells you right away that half of the population of Ajo. Is over 50.5, an older population. Also, it gives you race and Hispanic origin. And it, and it is known as a diverse population in Ajo. And so 10.9% are American Indian Alaska Natives, And an estimated 47.3% of people in Ajo CDP were white, non Hispanic, and people of Hispanic origin. And then so do you see how the text really helps you so it's all written for you? And you can just cut and paste. You can cut and paste this age ratio and cut and paste the text and just need to cite it. If I wanted to look at industry, I can look here. And, of course, keep in mind it's only 2,000 people. But I wanted to show my friends in business programs that this is one way to show. But with the ACS, it's where do people work? When you look at industry, it's where do people work, and you see the percentage of uh, and what are the top percentage of where people work in Ajo. Finally, I love this chart in poverty and participation in government programs. It gives me a visual about people in poverty, also in age grouping, children, and also our elders in the community. And then it will go on to talk about who's receiving snappers, many people call food stamps, and what's going on there. So a good look, and it tells the story of a community, and already, even though you may have not gone to Ajo, you already know some characteristics about that, so bear that in mind. So we looked at Quick Facts, which is a good profile, good way to compare. We've looked at one geography with Narrative Profile. And by the way, you can print this out, but it's a bear to print out. There's several pages on that. And it's very easy to cut and paste from the Narrative Profile by using the snipping tool or just a copy, which you can do for a PowerPoint, or you can do for a report that you're sending in, or hopefully a grant application. So from the landing page, I'm actually going to have to type in data.census.gov, which I wanted to reach out to all of those who have used American FactFinder. It's always somewhat of a painful process when we go from one platform to the other. I feel very ancient in saying that uh, I was training people on how to use American FactFinder when there was a lot of problems with it and people were getting a lot of pain points. And now, uh, coming back to data training, I see that we have, finally, our new data platform, which we are enhancing and tweaking on a daily basis. In fact, there's a presentation next week about the latest enhancements of data.census.gov. So I tell everybody this is our new platform, and you can do it. You can change over. But first of all, one of the things that always in American Fact Finder that our users were asking us for is help. How do we do this? How do we go to a map? Well, I will tell you, if you scroll down on our landing page of data.census.gov and see this view FAQs, this is a big help. It's so wonderful that this exists because you have, it tells you what is data.census.gov. But I love these how-to materials. This is so exciting because if I wanted to know how to customize a table, I can just click on this, and it will take me to that. And they're visual, which I need to have to be able to use it. So that we didn't have in American Fact Finder. So I'm very glad to see those materials, those how-to materials happen. The other thing that's really helpful is that we have video tutorials. And my colleague, Alexandra Barker, uh, explains how – well, she or another colleague will explain how to visualize data from a table. These are like six minutes, and they're very helpful that she she or a colleague will take you through how to do that in six minutes, similar to if you're learning how to, like, do a recipe from the Internet and learn how to cook rice or what have you. Very good. These are called data gems, and it's just here under video – tutorials. Finally, for a longer time commitment, we do have webinars that are about an hour. They're recorded. And we always advertise them. And you can get uh, subscribe to it. And you'll get an email saying, oh, this is our next uh, webinar coming up. So a lot of help that we didn't have in American FactFinder is available with data.census.gov. So very exciting about that, that you can follow up and do all kinds of things because this is a very basic demonstration of data.census.gov. So I'm going to start with advanced search. And I'm going to try to sneak in besides the data profiles using ACS by your estimates. For my friends in business programs, I am going to try to sneak in county business patterns. So let's see how our time goes. So first of all, it's very important to note that filters are super important in using data.census.gov. They are your way in. So just like many of us were doing internet shopping and using filters, if I order something from the grocery store and say I wanted tomatoes, so I had to filter from the grocery store down to produce, down to tomatoes. Same thing with data. We're shopping for data. Just think of it that way if that helps. So the Browse filters are these. You have topics, which we will use for business and economy, which is the most intuitive search. You will always, always, always have to use geography. In this case, we're going to use track. You can use place, and it goes further down here. The main thing is play with it. Be familiar with how geography is situated. You will always use geography. Years, I wanted to mention to you that years... Some of the community programs said that they wanted to have 2010 and 2000 data, like your P1 tables. So I'm here to tell you they're there, so you just have to go into 2010 and 2000 and look for DEC, Decennial Programs. There's also 2010 ACS tables, so make sure that you're into DEC so that you can get your P1 table, okay? Also. If you're using, like, uh, I know that uh, someone mentioned that they used the 2014 to 2018 ACS data, you can do that as well. You can either use it by doing surveys or by years. Uh, So that's an easy way to go. Surveys will tell you what survey you're using. And codes, like if you're looking at NAICS codes for industry codes, that's where to go there. So let's do a search very quickly. So first of all, I'm going to geography, and I'm going to look at tracks for New Mexico, so it's, first of all, it cues me in, and I'm going to say, I want New Mexico. So I just switched onto to New Mexico. I don't want all census tracts. I'm going to look at a northern New Mexico community county called Rio Arriba, and I'm looking at all census tracts within Rio Arriba, and the reason I'm doing this is because I also want to show you the mapping tool, just so you know, the capability of data.census.gov. So, this is an end-all, learn everything there is to know. This is just kind of an appetizer uh, introduction to data.census.gov. You'll notice when I check this off, it said all census tracts within Rio Reba County. Now, what am I going to look at? So, in this case, I know I want to go into, notice how we grade the area. One-year estimates are not available because it's a census track and will probably have only 5,000 or less population. And remember before, I had said one-year estimates are for 65,000 and above. So the data profiles may be something you want to keep on a bookmark because there's a lot of information. They're very popular tables. So I'm going to click on those. And notice as soon as I checked it off, it went... And then I say search. But I know in American Fact Finder, we were used to doing like up on the top. Well, they're always on the bottom. So another change we have to undergo. So remember when we looked at the ACS, uh, ACS content? So it was divided into social, economic, and housing. So the social will have educational attainment. It will have language other than English spoken at home. It'll even have fertility. In housing, it will have housing tenure the uh, type of housing, and what have you. But we're going to focus on the economic characteristics. Also, the name of these tables are Demographic Profile 02, Demographic Profile 03, Demographic Profile 04, and the dpo 5 the which is the Demographic and Housing Estimates. So we're going to do the economic characteristics, because they were like, uh, if I was the DJ, they're my most requested uh Data points. So the DPO three, and you see here that it's the five-year estimates profile. Now, for those of you who still use the other, you can go down here, and if you wanted to use that other, you can just go like this, and I'll change it automatically because I did get that request. So, if I wanted to look at industry, industry here means where in Rio Reba County in these census tracts are people working. It's not actually the NAITSCO, so I just want to make that distinction. So, if I go down, it is no surprise that if you see the biggest number is professional, scientific, and management. Well, this happens to be down the highway from Los Alamos Labs, so no surprise there. Now then, if I wanted to look at income and benefits, so keep in mind that income is reported as either family income or household income. So make sure you read the fine print that if they're asking you for household income, it is right here. And so the medium household income means or that half of the population lives above or below. But the other thing, too, is what is the difference between household income and family? And you'll see here that I have, I go further, and it says families. So not only does it have family uh, income, but it also has medium family income as well as per capita, because I was asked about per capita income. So the difference of household versus family is, if I, my daughter lives with a roommate, so both of their incomes, and they're not related, she's not living with her cousin or with her sister, but they're non-related individuals. So both of them have household income. But if I'm asking for family income, it's one family is her and the other family is her roommate because they're non-related. That really makes a difference. So per capita is here. And I also asked the question earlier, Pauline, can I download a table to PDF? Unfortunately, I double-checked that functionality this week, and no. The best thing you can do is still on an Excel spreadsheet. And the functionality is not there yet, but I know it's being worked on, and you'll notice that it is grayed out whenever you try to do that. So the final thing that I wanted to mention with ACS data before I go very quickly over to county business patterns is that poverty. You'll notice that we will look at poverty or we organize poverty data into families and to all people. And in this case, I just wanted to take a minute to just look at our mapping function by using the DPO3. You always, when you do mapping, you have to have, like I have highlighted here, the um, table that I'm using, Walk over to maps. I really want to do all people uh, that have uh, percentage of poverty in these census tracts. However, you'll notice that it defaults into employment status, which is the first line item of the table. At this time, that search function does it has a glitch, and I have reported that. So right now, I am forced to go through the whole class of worker in, income and benefits till I go to poverty. And so I just wanted to sh- demonstrate that there is that capability right now. You need a little bit of patience to scroll down, and so you can hum a tune or whatever. So, notice how it says percentage of families, and it's going to married couple families, and I want all people, so notice here, it says all people estimate, but I want the percentage. So, you'll see here that automatically, so I'm just demonstrating this capability, that it will give me a percentage, and you see the different percentage there in this census track. i so will give you the census track and that's a percentage point right there. So just a quick demo to say that you still can get very visual in data.census.gov and as I did the census track so we could see the difference in this uh, rural community in northern New Mexico. So a great addition to any grant application or loan application. And also I wanted to mention one last thing is that if you're wanting to look at persistent poverty, which was another question asked, you could go to the different um, profiles uh, and look at, at which, uh, what is the data and is there persistent poverty in Rio uh, Ariba County, okay? So that's the mapping function. Just wanted to give you a sneak preview. I am going to look real quickly because I do want to make time for questions about filtering and looking at... So, I'm going to clear my filters, because I'm going over to County Business Patterns. So, I'm going to click on that, and I'm going to click on, and basically, I'm starting over. So, I'm going to go to Geography to a County to look at, I'm going back to Texas, to West Texas, actually, just to do a topic search. And select Texas. And I really want to go to a county. So I want to look again at all counties in Texas, but I really want Brewster County, which is one of the counties in West Texas. So if my colleague, um, Charlene McBride is listening, uh, she worked in Brewster County for, uh, many, many months during the 2020 census. Brewster County is where Salt Ross University is. And you already see that things are changing on the left side. For the topics, I just wanted to kind of show you how to do topics. So business and economy, I'm going to small business with payroll and without payroll. And again, this is for the benefit of my friends in business programs. So in order to look at industry within a county, you can do it by zip code, you cannot do it by census tract. You'll see here that this is what a table looks like. I've got to go over to my tables, not to the map. And to show you that you can look at all establishments, and it breaks it down for you in Brewster County, and it gives you the number of establishments there. So that's a great way for you guys to look at what is the industry in a county. You'll also notice that we have non-employer, which means uh, those are the sole proprietors. You don't want to forget about those. And so we have these and making those two selections will really help you look at what's happening as far as industry in that particular county. So with that, I do want to go over very, very quickly to my PowerPoint and just wanted to talk about citation. Just wanted to say that I have a slide on here for citation. I'm not going to go through it. But if the USDA or the Farm Bureau or anybody's asking you, how did you get that number, make sure that you're there for the citation, and I have it right here for you to look at. And that would be true of data.census.gov or Narrative Profile. I also wanted to mention, besides what I showed you before as far as resources, I'm going to do a shout-out to the State Data Center Network that you have throughout our 12-state region. They are very good about working with you and doing data. They're used to analyzing data, they're very familiar with your state and with your counties, so please use them. And I have the link there. And with that, Emily, I'm going
0: to look at, see if we have any questions. Thank you for that wonderful presentation, Pauline. We do have a number of questions. Uh, I will start first with Allison Larson's question. Uh, And we did answer this in the chat box, but I do wanna make sure everyone knows. Uh, Pauline, do we have an approximate date for the release of 2020 decennial census data? (laughs)
3: Yes, we do. The legacy format will be in August 16th. And then um, in data.census.gov, which we were at uh, a bit ago, uh, that's where you'll see the 2020 census, in data.census.gov. So if you're interested in that data, it's very important to understand how to work and get to data.census.gov.
0: And, correct me if I'm wrong, Pauline, but the more user-friendly data will be released uh, by the end of September, including the charts and the the really cool Mm -hmm. uh, visualizations that are out there. Okay, I do not have
3: to correct you. You're correct.
0: Excellent. Okay, our next question comes from Kristen Hunt. Uh, Kristen asks, why is Quick Facts for Communities uh, only over 5,000 in size? Uh, many communities that Christian services are mm-hmm. uh, smaller than that. And A number of people said, yes, I have the same problem. Uh, and I did mention mm-hmm. that there are other data tools, but can you talk a little bit about that, Pauline? Well, I wish I could
3: wave a magic wand and say that, yes, we were, were hoping. At one time, there was talk about it going down to 2,500 uh, as far as it. But I would say for all of those who want a lower, um, first of all, All the counties in the United States are covered on QuickFacts, so that's at least a positive. And you will have to use something like narrative profile to get to your community that's less than 5,000. I would say that the best way to make that change is for you to send uh, feedback that says, we really need this in rural America. We need QuickFacts to be lower because it's such a great tool and we wanna use it for those smaller communities but keep in mind that you can use the uh the counties no matter how small the county is because some like in texas are very small so you can use the counties you can use narrative profile and you can pull up a data profile which we showed for each of your uh, small communities and for your cdps because i did for even ajo arizona and that's why i used ajo
0: okay our next question comes from allison larson Will there be coming or is there uh, uh, a, Oh is there a mapping tool that allows you uh, to draw an area on a map that you need information for? So you could select multiple counties or multiple CDPs or cities, not just one zip code or one CDP or one city, but a way that you can select an area on a map and pull data for those uh, areas.
3: Yes. As a matter of fact, you can select all the census tracts in the, in the United States. Um, so, what I would recommend for that is to look at either the data gem or the webinar that teaches how to use the map. There's also, I, and I like the, the PDFs myself, I like to look at a guide just like I use a recipe I like to have that recipe to teach me how to walk through the mapping. The mapping tool continues to be enhanced in data.census.gov. And so, because again, that's where data is going, being visual and also being granular, which, you know, going down to the smaller areas. So uh, yes, it it has a lot more functionality than what I showed today uh, in the time limit. So I I would really encourage using that because to me, That application that shows that enhancement of saying, oh, this is my community, this is what it looks like, I think would be uh, the winning one, or at least would grab my attention.
0: Okay, our next question comes from Vicki Mose. Uh, Pauline, will you show how to get the uh, information that would be used on an Affirmative Fair Housing Marketing Plan? Hmm.
3: That and might have, have to be a follow up. To follow
0: up with. Yeah,
3: okay. I, I, that, okay. that's more involved because I have like three more minutes. So uh, we have her email, and we can follow up. And maybe what we may do is those questions that we don't get to, we can send. We are going to send out the PDF of the slides as well as the recording. It takes about twenty four hours to get the recording, so our wonderful tech help, uh, help Paulina is used to sending out to all the registrants. Uh, so, you will be getting that, and maybe what we'll do, too, uh, between the three of us is we can uh, answer the questions and make sure people have that so that they can learn from that as well.
0: Okay. And, Vicki, if you would, I am dropping my email um, address in the chat box again, so if you do want to get that question over us, to us today, uh, we'll take a look for it. Um, next question is from Carla Kimball. Um, She had requested that we send the link to the upcoming training that you mentioned that's happening next week, Pauline, in an email. So we will include the upcoming training Mm -hmm. information. Uh, Our next question uh, came when you were on data.census.gov from Kristen Hunt. And she wants to mm-hmm. know why it seems like you were always selecting the geography first and then the topic. Is there a right or wrong way to do that and why? <laughs> <laughs> I like that question. Uh, you
3: know what? When I was early trained in looking at um, data, uh, I got trained from people that had 40 years with the Census Bureau, okay? So I, I really honor that background. And one thing they always trained me was to look at geography. And uh, because geography does determine, like, what you're able to look at, as far as, for example, like the county business patterns, it's only available for county. Uh, for like that uh, estimates, when your estimates, is only for 65,000. So, for me, I always go to geography. I didn't even notice I always do that, but I do because I know that it will be a determining factor as to what. Uh, data tool, data uh, survey I can use. So I do that. But there's not a right and wrong way. Uh, the right way is the way that, that gets you to your data quicker. And also, I would definitely write down those uh, tables that you always use to make reports or whatever, bookmark them, so that you can go to them as, as soon as you get into data.census.gov.
0: okay and i am seeing several requests uh in the chat box the affirmative fair housing marketing plan information uh lots and lots of people are looking for that information so pauline we can talk offline but i think we want to include that and it is noon now so um unless pauline you want to answer one more question uh we can go ahead and end now but again to everyone i have dropped um my email address in the box if we didn't get to your question please do send me an email um But Pauline, I'll let you wrap up with your last slide, if you would. Okay. First of all, I
3: wanted to thank all of you for joining us. I don't know how many people we had online today with us, but uh, thank you for that. Uh, I feel that us working together, I just wanted to get a thumbs up or whatever. Was this information helpful? Give me a thumbs up. Did you like Narrative Profile? Did I remind you about using Quick Facts? Okay, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we will respond to uh, we will get you back the recording, and I always find it helpful. Thank you. Know I always thought love in person because I can get um, a reaction from you all. So it's a little bit harder on um, doing uh, a virtual. But let us know if you want. If you uh, we do I we do have a team of partnership specialists, and so if you want to localize. Uh, presentation. They can travel, so we can go to our 12-state region. We have a, a team that's assigned to the different states. But thank you all for working. I'm from a rural area. I grew up in a little place called Socorro, Texas, which is about, in um, and and those days, about an hour from El Paso, Texas. So this is a subject dear to my heart. I thank you for all your good work in making sure that our uh, rural part of our 12-state region uh, works, and thank you for your service, and thank you, Emily, Eric, and Richard and Paulina for making this webinar helpful or possible, as well as Vicki McIntyre and Kathy Lacey, who are our leadership. Thanks all, and have a great day, and we'll make sure that we get you answers to your questions.
0: Bye now. Thank you so much for attending today, everyone. We truly appreciate you spending a little bit of your day with us. Uh, again, uh, if you need to capture my email address one last time, it's emily.c, as in Charlie, at 2020census.gov. We will follow up with your questions. Uh, but with that, uh, I wish you a good day. Thank you for attending, and uh, we'll end the webinar now. Thank you, everyone.